from the number one best-selling author of Life Rescripted. You're now tuning in to the Year of Purpose podcast. I'm Zephan Moses Blacksburg. A small-town girl who is able to think beyond the city limits, Carrie Wilkerson is a best-selling author, international speaker, award-winning podcaster, and radio guest. Featured on CNN and Fox Business News, she was named by Forbes as a top small business influencer. Carrie speaks from the experience of a former corporate clock puncher, high school teacher, direct sales rep, growth consultant, and business coach. She got her big start in high school begging groceries for tips only on a military base and now makes her living by giving tips to 100,000 men and women as the barefoot executive. Thanks so much for being here today, Carrie. Thanks for having me. I'm honored. You know, I think it's perfect that you're called the Barefoot Executive because I'm actually standing here barefoot at my standing desk to record this podcast, and I love being barefoot. There you go. We're, <laughs> we are like-minded in that way. So I want to jump into a little bit of your history and what brought you here, but first I have to ask, why barefoot? Um, you know, it's actually just how I've been my whole life. I've always hated shoes. I've always kind of been in trouble for kicking my shoes off and losing my shoes. And um, I am, have never been the girl that was all about the shoes, like defined by my shoes or collected shoes or any of that. And when I started running several um, at-home businesses, I remember coming down the um, staircase one day and I was huge and pregnant with my third child. It was my first pregnancy. And... Um, you know, in the South, we have a joke about keeping your women at home barefoot and pregnant where they belong, you know, and my husband said at that point, you know, you are fat and happy and barefoot and pregnant. Now he could say fat and happy at that time, because I would say that all the time, fat and happy and barefoot and pregnant and this crazy successful executive, you have everything that you've ever wanted. You have to teach other people how to be the barefoot executive, not defined by a corner office or their shoes, you know? So I wrote it down. That was in 2004. I wrote that down in my journal, write a book called the barefoot executive. And then of course I started my website in 2007 after the birth of my fourth and uh, and wrote the book in 2011. So it really was just a nickname. It's not a fancy brand I created. It was me, and I just was my own brand. So I felt like a barefoot executive kind of resonated with people, whether they want to work on the beach or on the farm or you know in, in their own home instead of somebody else's office. I didn't want to be told what to wear, how to dress, how to conform. I wanted to work on my own terms. And I'm sure a lot of people are in the same boat. And what I like the most about it is that, you know, when I think of executive, uh, sometimes I'll think, you know, the corporate structure or the corporate world. But then when you hear barefoot in front of it, it kind of gives it that ring of, you know, being free flowing and, you know, doing as you please and really building up a business, uh, you know, on your own terms. So I really like how the two go together. Now, let's talk a little bit about, you know, where you came from and what it took to really get here, because, you know, starting off uh, begging groceries, I'm sure you don't see many people who do that and, you know, ultimately go into the corporate world and then start an amazing business and have this huge community of people all around the country and all around the world. Um, you know, what was it like to, you know, work bagging groceries for tips only? And did you learn any lessons from that that have stuck with you all this time? You know, I should write a book just about that. Um, you know, I was 
um, when I was a teenager, well, my dad was in the military and for years and years and years. Then he retired and went into ministry, but we still had military-based privileges. So my brothers bagged groceries at the military base, but there was no hourly rate. It was tips only. Um, and so the officers and the officers' wives and the, and the enlisted people's wives, I mean, we just had to live off what they paid us and sometimes it was a dollar and sometimes it was five and sometimes you know if you did a great job because they shop for a whole month and so you may be putting eight hundred dollars worth of groceries in their car sometimes it was a 20. um yeah the things i learned were number one you don't get paid just for showing up you get paid for what you're doing you get paid better when you're offering value to people people that i remembered their name from one time to the next or asked about their kids or double bagged even when they didn't ask me or packed them light, you know, because I didn't want them to struggle once they got home. The more value I added to them, the more value they gave back to me. And and what I learned with that is how to hustle. I mean, I know that's not necessarily a popular word, but I learned that as a kid. I learned that if I didn't show up, I didn't make any money, that um, I only was paid according to the value that I provided and also that people like to feel special. Um, and then what I noticed is that people would come back and then start to request me. So I learned the value of the recurring customer. I mean, and, and as a 17, 18, 19 year old, that's powerful stuff. Yeah. I, also, I also learned how to set aside money for taxes, right? How many of our entrepreneur friends get in trouble for not, not thinking ahead and set aside for taxes. I learned how to budget because I never knew if today I was making $20 and tomorrow I was making 50 or if it was going to be a slow day. You, you just never knew. So I learned about budget. So many things I learned. Um, when I was a kid, I could have, uh, my first job was in a drugstore. It lasted two weeks and then they started making me work on Sundays and that was a non-negotiable for me. I knew even then that um, there had to be job opportunities and businesses where I could create my own schedule. So even at 16 and 17, I was very intentional about I didn't work retail because I wanted my weekends. I didn't want somebody else determining my schedule. And I wanted to be paid according to the work that I did, not according to some random pay scale. Um, so yeah, I learned a lot doing that. And I and I also learned that I didn't want to be doing that the rest of my life, <laughs> yeah. if that makes sense. So it was a great hustle job. It was great to teach me a lot of lessons. Um, my, my brothers, one of my brothers in particular, did that like 10 years, all through high school and college and part of grad school. So, I mean, it was, it was a neat opportunity. And um, we, we both learned a lot from that. I also had another brother that worked there. He was the first of us that worked there. He would only, he didn't learn the same lessons we did, really? honestly. And he's the oldest. He learned to go make as much as he wanted to go satisfy his needs for the day. And then he would go leave and either <laughs> go out or go spend or, you know, he only showed up when he needed money. He'd work until there was just enough and then he would leave. He didn't, um... You know, he didn't take those lessons the same way that we did. And even now he's a contractor. He's a very talented remodeler, but he still has a little bit of that same mindset. Like he'll work a job and then live on that payday for a while instead of like backing it up with another job or even double dipping and having two jobs like like my other brother and I would do. So it's really interesting to see how we took different things from that. But every experience is a learning experience, in my opinion. And bagging groceries definitely set the tone for me as an entrepreneur, in my opinion.
Yeah, it's so interesting to hear that, you know, two people who can work in the same role, you know, live in the same household can pull away totally different lessons from it. Right. Uh, But what was even more interesting to me was that, you know, you were learning what it was like to provide value to people uh, while bagging their groceries and and starting (laughs) conversations. And it's just crazy to me to think that, you know, the world we live in now, it's like you go to the self-checkout and you bag your own stuff and you don't talk to anyone, you don't interact with anyone. I mean, most people probably don't pay any attention to the person that puts their stuff in the bags. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's just, you know, if you go to Trader Joe's, I love Trader Joe's because they always bag the stuff right in front of you. They ask, you know, if they can fit more stuff in there because they're, these guys are like magic. They play Tetris right. with your bag. Right. But, I mean, we lost sight of that in so many other places. Like, we don't have those human interactions anymore. And I wonder how many people are missing out on learning lessons like this because just the way the world has been changing. Yeah, exactly. You're exactly right. So we go from, you know, bagging groceries and learning so much there Walk me up to working in the corporate world because, you know, I think that, uh, you know, a lot of people have a different journey to how they got there. You know, for me, it was actually out of desperation. I had uh, left college, went to work for an amazing company with a mutual friend of ours, Mara Glazer, mm-hmm. and uh, we worked for her dad's business. But at a certain point in time when I left, I was really desperate for a job and applied and worked with Apple. And while I don't regret having Apple on my resume, uh, the corporate world is m- very different from working with, you know, a business that has maybe 10 to 15 employees. Right. So how did you get into the corporate world? And, you know, how long did that last until you were just like, no, I have to wear shoes here. This is not for me. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, I will say um, I I win because I've actually done the corporate world as well as governmental agency, as well as the education system. So state agencies and bureaucracy. I've been there and done that with all of them. And looking back, I see a pattern of I did great. I loved it. I would conquer it. And then by the third year, I was done. So now we can look back and go, oh, that's an entrepreneurial spirit of conquer and move on, conquer and move on. But at the time, it just felt in my head like a little bit ADHD and scattered. And and the recurring theme in my life is my parents would say, if you could just focus on one thing, if you could just focus on one thing, you know, you'd, you'd do great. But at the same time, there was never any place I could kind of settle into that I felt like I would retire there. So I now have friends that have been teaching almost 30 years, honestly. And I look at that and go, I would rather be um, cut with a thousand knives than do anything for 30 years. I'm just not wired that way. Um, so I, I did corporate and I did government agency and I did education because they seemed like logical next steps or they seemed like a fit for what my skill set was at the time, or they seemed like the best pay and benefits. Um, I married a corporate guy with an MBA, and um, that just seemed like the plan. It was just path of least resistance. And coming from a ministry family and a military family where there's never enough money and there's never enough promotions or recognition, you know, you look at that uh, corporate or teaching or the stability and you say, wow, that's the holy grail. That's where I need to be. And then that will satisfy what I need. And then you get there and you go, "Mm, okay, so that, you know, it's like eating something and you go, nope, that wasn't really what I was hungry for. After all, that was kind of not satisfying. I'm sorry, I wasted the space in my stomach on that, you know. So, so I think that 
that it wasn't about to me that I even felt like it was inefficient or ineffective, but it always went back to kind of those bagging grocery things. Like I don't like being paid what I'm paid right now just because I'm new. I think that's inherently unfair as a brand new teacher. I knew I was working harder than this woman next door to me that had been there 30 years that was phoning it in, that was showing up late, that could care less about her kids, that was using the same lesson plan she'd been using for 25 years and didn't even like her students. You know, how fair is that, that I'm up there 24 seven, the kids love me, they're working hard for me, I'm working hard for them and doing extra things and I'm paid half what she is just because the scale says so. Um, those are the things that really created a lot of unrest in me. And at the same time, when I became a parent, that's when everything shifted. Mm -hmm. Like I could have probably dealt with all those other things and made things work for me, but I adopted siblings and overnight became a mom of two. And I went, mm, okay, some things are now non-negotiable. And one of those was the investment of my time. So I shifted things in a hurry. I didn't have any business ideas. I didn't have any grand thoughts. I just needed to make enough money to stay home with my kids. So sometimes it's it's really not about like corporate rebellion or or even feeling stifled. I felt like I probably could have jumped jobs every three years and been in big demand, you know, in whatever place because I was just that kind of person, that kind of high achiever. However, my kids just kind of uh, brought me home and centered, recentered everything. Yeah, it's very interesting. Things happen when you have kids, and I don't have any yet. Uh, and I'm sure it will change the game for me quite a bit when that does happen. Um, I, I'm curious how, you know, the way I was raised is to think, you know, you grow up, you go to college, get a really nice degree, get a job, and do the same thing for like 30 years. And I'm very similar to you in that, you know, after like two years, I'm kind of like, I I'm done with this. Yeah. Now, did your parents raise you with any sort of mentality of like, you should be doing the same thing for a very long <laughs> time? And then how are you raising your kids, you know, from this perspective of having mm -hmm. been in, you know, the corporate world and thinking that that was what you were supposed supposed to do and now seeing the options out there like how has that changed for you as you became a parent yeah let's let's go back to how I was raised and I was raised very much by traditional uh, folks that were raised in the 50s very southern very evangelical patriarchal so I was raised to finish your education and then you get a degree so that you have something to fall back on in case something happens to your husband mm. right I, I mean that's that's very much still a mentality of uh, of the folks that the woman was just assumed to be home, assumed to be home even before kids. Like my mom, my my uh, one of my teenagers said to me today how my mom, uh, her grandmother is the most perfect housewife, and she's right. My mom is amazing. She she can turn a dime into ten dollars. She can. Her home is beautiful and perfect and always ready to entertain and she cooks and cleans and sews and her home is her job and her pride and joy and wow, I respect her so much for that. Absolutely do. Um, but but that was actual conversation like what degree are you going to get just in case something happens to your husband and then actually these are the colleges you can choose from 
because you will likely meet your husband there. So we want to make sure they're from this background. Oh, and I'm wow. not even playing. Yeah. So people look at me now and I'm and I'm such like a loud mouth and they perceive probably that I'm a hardcore feminist and, you know, big advocate for this and that. But the fact is, that's how I was raised is, yes, I knew how to sew and know how to sew still um, cook, entertain, all those kind of things, defer to male authority. And then you get a degree, so you have something to fall back on. So that's how I was raised. However, I kind of had conflicting messages in my house because my, my mom, that was very much the message. She married at 17. That was very much what you did. My dad wanted me to have a degree and at the same time is whispering in my ear, you can do anything and you can be anything. And and wow, I don't even know what to do with you because you have so much potential. So so I kind of had both of those messages. So so I go to college. I'm actually not a rebel. I go to college. I did marry like my sophomore year. Uh, got my MRS was my first degree, right? My MRS degree. And then uh, that's the missus. Mm -hmm. and, and then I finished my degree and I was going into music education because that seemed to make sense. That seemed to be practical. And then I could teach until I had kids and then I could stay home. That was the plan because that's what I was taught. Um, changed my degree to mass communications, decided I wanted to do something more, you know, impactful, maybe broadcast, maybe um, something along those lines, but still at the same time, choosing that degree so I could get out faster. So, so lots of conflicting things. I'm not going to say I had it all figured out, but as I became a parent, uh, the, and I did intend to go back to work after I adopted the kids, but my kids were high needs and they had a lot of therapy requirements and they came from a foster situation and it was different than having a newborn baby. It was just different. And I felt like that was a higher calling at that moment. I'm not the woman that says every woman needs to be home with their kids. That's not my place. It's not my business. It's not my life. Uh, but those kids at those that point needed me 24-7 to be quite frank. So... Um, at that point is when I thought, you know, I'm a smart girl. This isn't like an actual conversation with myself in 1998. I'm a smart woman. I have a degree. I'm very qualified in a lot of things. We have this computer. There's this new thing called the internet. There's got to be a way to pay my bills <laughs> and be home with these kids. There's got to be a way. And you know, Zephan, the, the mind hates empty spaces. So when you ask good questions of yourself, and pose good problems to yourself, your mind, your spirit, your experience goes to work to solve those. It's when we declare defeat or we shut it down before we get into possibility thinking that we close off those options. So if I had said, well, I'm just going to choose to stay home and not make any money. We're just going to have to struggle for a while. That would not have opened up my mind to possibility thinking. Instead, I said, hey, I'm a smart girl with a lot to offer. There's got to be a way. There's got to be a way. And then you start the process of research or questioning other people. And you, your mind and your spirit go to work. And I don't want to seem woo-woo there. I mean, I'm a woman of faith. And so, yes, I prayed about it too. But, but I had to do the work. And I had to go out and say, how can I create value for other people? Bagging groceries, right? How can I go create value for people and still be here for my little people at home and make enough money to stay home. That's where my business acumen started was in answering that question and relentlessly asking that question. You know, I think that it's a really important question to ask. And, you know, where a big thing changed for me, uh, kind of in that woo-woo side of things was, I don't know if you've ever heard of a float tank. 
Um, but they're basically, it's a sensory deprivation chamber, so no light and no sound. Uh, oh, wow. And you float in uh, water that's been filled with 1,000 pounds of Epsom salt. And they warm it up to the same temperature as your body. So, I mean, you just feel like you're floating there. Uh, wow. It's extremely relaxing. It gets you into a super meditative state. Uh, but one of the big things that happened for me while I was in that state inside the float tank was asking a lot of those questions of like, what can I do for other people? Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of this magic space where, where the magic happens and you start to figure out what it is that you can actually do for the world, um, which is just really cool once you figure that out. Uh, and so, you know, I'm just kind of sitting here thinking about your story. One question that comes up for me is that I uh, have a huge family. I have seven brothers and one sister. Okay. Uh, and, you know, I've got through my stepmom, she had six of the boys and she's uh, still the youngest one is 17 years younger than me. So the youngest one is very young still. And I'm just thinking about all the things that she juggles and being a mom and, you know, wanting to run a business. You know, how do you go about juggling everything that's on your plate? I mean, mom, moms are superheroes in itself. Like, I will totally admit that. But how do you, you know, manage time to a point where you can actually get a business off the ground and do all that while still being able to take care of the kids and everything that has to happen at home? Well, it's exhausting. And it's not instant, um, which unfortunately, we have a society that's very quick to quit um, if we don't see fast results. I mean, I'm an 18-year story in process. Those two kids I adopted are now out of the house. They're adults now. Like, I have a 12 and a 9-year-old still here, but those two are now 21 and 19. So I've been at this a while. People want to see the aftershot and go, oh, tell me how to do that now. Well. The fact is you have to train your kids on some boundaries. You have to train yourself on some boundaries. I'm not that mom who's in the floor doing puzzles with them 24-7 and snack on demand. I'm the mom that puts snacks on a low shelf and juice boxes on a low shelf so that when they want a snack, they can get it. I mean, I'm raising independent, um, think-for-themselves kind of kids, but my kids also feel like I'm there when it matters and and. If my daughter and our conversation on the way to school this morning was any indication, um, she said, I want to be a mom like you. You're there for us. You know what we need. Nobody loves their kids like you love us. So clearly something is is going okay there, <laughs> even though I'm not, you know, I don't have the mom guilt. I'm not sitting with them all the time. I'm, I'm expecting them to be a little independent. But also uh, I heard somebody give this illustration of juggling the other day and I really loved it, really loved it. And They said, juggling means you're holding on to nothing. You're touching the balls as they fly through your hand, but you're not holding onto them tight, otherwise you drop the other ones. So you have to delegate a few things, whether it's, um, you know, the getting help with the laundry from your spouse or the kids. I mean, my two little ones do the laundry, uh, their laundry. Um, you know, or hiring a laundry service, or, you know, maybe you're obsessively cleaning once every two weeks instead of every day. I'll tell you, my house is not company ready. Now I would host company here right now, but they would have to kind of get the fact that I run a full-time business travel. My husband travels 80% of the time and I've got kids living here. I mean, it's not going to be Southern living at home in this house all the time, but it's comfortable. It's, um, warm, it's inviting and also lived in. So you have to let a couple of things go. You also have to realize that you cannot work your business 
the same as, and some people will hear this differently than I mean it, but you cannot work your business at the same, if you're juggling kids and a house at the same time, the same as a man who's in the same position because he will have help. He will have you. He will have a wife. You, you know, the joke around here is when my husband leaves town, he's like, oh, hey, I'm leaving town. And then suddenly he's gone. When I leave town, it's like, make sure you grocery shop and prepare the meals in advance. Make sure all the kids' logistics and childcare is handled. Make sure everybody knows everybody else's schedule. I mean, there's a lot of groundwork that goes into before I can walk out the door versus when he can walk out the door. So a, a woman, a wife that's building a business at home with kids, you're gonna be, build at a less, a different speed than a man that can devote 40 hours a week of single focused time on that. It is what it is. We can be mad about it all we want. We can scream inequality, but we're also making our choices to be a mom or to be a nurturer or to juggle those many things. We have several full-time jobs, the house, the kids, and the business. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, our counterpart male who has some help, his focus is on the business while he's at the business. When he comes home, it might be on the, you know, the house and the kids. It's just different. So you have to be a little patient with yourself. You have to give yourself time for results. You have to let some of your perfectionism go in several areas. And um, you have to focus on providing value. At the same time, you cannot be manipulated by your children. They will, uh, they know how to get your attention. They know how to get you off task. They do think everything about them is the most important thing right in this moment. And sometimes you have to be strong enough to say, that's going to need to wait an hour or two hours, or you're going to have to go problem solve that for yourself. So, you know, I can't solve this in a five minute conversation, but what I will say is we have to cut ourselves some slack. We have to be a little patient with ourselves. Um, we have to factor in all the things that we're responsible for but it can absolutely be done if you keep plugging away at it. And I am a testament to that. I don't have a staff. I don't have a nanny. I don't have a housekeeper. Um, you know, I have raised four kids from toddlerhood up through. My youngest is now nine. And um, I've had all ages and stages. I've homeschooled and private schooled and public schooled all of it. And, and so I get it. I get it. And I've been there and done it. And it can be done. But I would never say it's easy, ever. Yeah, it, I'm sure it's not easy at all. I just, I think it's great to hear, you know, you showing, you know, I, I'm proof that this is possible. Um, you know, I think that a lot of people out there, you know, will look at something and say, you know, oh, I can't do this. And I always, always go back to the four minute mile, you know, people thought that they couldn't run a mile in four minutes until someone did it. And then like 100 people went and did it in the next year. Yep. And so, you know, having someone who can really make that possible for everyone and, and show them what they're really capable of, uh, you know, as living proof is just fantastic. Um, Carrie, as we get towards the end of this interview here, you know, I know you've got a great website. Uh, you've got this seven day business blitz uh, that people can access on the site. And I'm sure a couple other resources too. you know, what's the best place for people to get in touch with you? Just kind of keep track of what you're doing and things like that. Yeah, my most active platform is probably the Barefoot Executive Facebook page. So if you just go into Facebook and search Barefoot Executive or Carrie Wilkerson, you'll find me. I'm very engaged there. Um, my website, we're about to pick up with a new blog series. So 
um, that's going to be a great place. Going through the seven-day video series is just like having me in your ear and under your skin for a few days for free with worksheets and everything. So that's a great place. Um, and I'm on Instagram, but I really use that more for personal and humor. I mean, it's kind of a fun place to follow me, but I don't do a lot of business there. Um, so, so that's about it. You can also Google my name and the word podcast and find out all the podcasts I've been on and all the different topics that I've interviewed on. So there's lots of different ways to get connected. Awesome. Thanks so much for being here today, Carrie. And just, you know, before I let you go, is there any sort of lasting words of wisdom that you want to leave with everyone? Yeah, I think that um, you just said everybody, we want to point to proof of concept that it can be done, but then we have to watch our human nature too. Our human nature will say, they'll look at my after picture, my now, and they'll say, well, sure, she can do it. Her kids are older. And they'll totally disregard the fact that I've done this with four babies. Um, you know, well, of course she can do that. She's married. You know, well, yeah, but my husband travels 80% of the time. So really, I'm kind of not. Um, <laughs> you know, well, sure, she can do this. She's in a financial position to do it. Yeah, but when I started, I was $100,000 in debt. Well, yeah, I'd be confident like her if I was thin. Well, yeah, but I've lost 140 pounds. I started fat. You know, so stop dismissing other people's success as the after make sure you get the fact that we all go through junk. We all swim through mud at some point. We all bleed. Uh, we all have struggles. Stop comparing yourself to the social media snapshot and realize that we're all going through stuff and we're hanging in there. And what sets apart the successful from the ones who, who give up are if you're willing to hang in there through the blood and the scabs and and the hurts and the hurt feelings and the kids that are sick. I've got one at home right now missing school today because she's sick. She's actually sick from a medicine reaction from being sick last week. The medicine they gave her has now made her sick in a different way. So. You know, I could say, oh, I can't do business today. I can't whatever because I have a sick kid. Or I can say, how do I make this work? Remember I said the mind can't stand unanswered questions. How do I make this work today? What do I modify? What do I, um, what, what do I teach through this? How do I have her also in my lap, you know, making her feel loved and nurtured? How do I call the doctors? What do I need to do and still keep moving forward towards my goals? How does this work? And it doesn't work every day, but um, unless we're asking ourselves the questions about how it can work instead of why everybody else is so much lucky, uh, luckier and more fortunate and, you know, has an easier path, if we could just do that instead, I think our mind would give us our own solutions. That's awesome. I think you're absolutely right. It's more of a question of asking, how do we make this work instead of sitting there and just giving up right on the spot? Right. Carrie, this has been an awesome interview. I want to thank you again for being here. And I certainly look forward to keeping in touch with you. Thank you so much. Hey, everyone, it's Zeph. Did you like this episode? Be sure to subscribe so that you can tune in next week and tell a friend about the show. If you want access to free training and exclusive interviews on success, happiness, lifestyle design, and adventure, visit me at yearofpurpose.com. Until next time, go out and let life surprise you so that you can live a life rescripted. scripted